think things are okay. I think everything is okay. I need to rehearse something, though, before we get too far into it. What are you going to rehearse? Boy. <laughs> I was going to ask you for your best boy. I do not know. I can't read that. <laughs> I still can't read that. Gosh. Father. Father. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Res. I'm your host, Daniel, and with me today is my co-host, Riley. And today we're going to talk about God of War. But first, we have a little bit of follow-up. Do we? Do we have any follow-up? No, we don't have any follow-up. Okay. Let's make sure that our listeners are paying attention. Paying attention to the fact that we have no follow-up. Yeah. Because we did everything perfectly last time. Yeah. Instead, I think we can we can jump right in to an actual live episode of Res, all about God of War. The the new one, right? That's the one we played, right? The new Did you play the new one? Did you play the new one? I played the new one. Was there an old one? Good. Yeah, good. Okay, good. We both played the new one. Yeah, there was a there was actually a an original trilogy that was all set in like Greece and you were fighting all the Greek gods and stuff. But this one, this is the Norse one. The one with all the, the, the Odins and the Odinsons and the dwarves. What did we what did we play though? Give us a little bit of a rundown. So we did play the new God of War. The 2018 God of War, in case in five or ten years they decide to come out with another game called God of War in the franchise, which, yeah, it could happen. Like Daniel said, this game is the the fifth main installment in the God of War franchise. Uh, I think there are nine games total, and the first three, God of War 1, 2, and 3, were on the PlayStation, as well as God of War Ascension. PlayStation 2 and then 3. This is, I think, the first God of War on the PlayStation 4. And then there were a few different titles that came out on, like, the PlayStation Portable. Um, and I think even an Android title, though I don't know too much about that. Really? As far as uh, actual game canon goes. But the original God of War story is about, if you haven't already heard anything about God of War, a guy named Kratos who gets tricked into murdering his wife and his son by a Greek god and then gets very angry when he learns that he was fooled and goes on a three-game rampage whereby he destroys the entire Greek pantheon. Oh, my. Yep. So he's got a history of, of sad things happening to him, and he uses his anger to get retribution for those sad things happening to him but this game well i I mean it's kind of different it's kind of not different it starts out with kratos and another son that he's had in the frozen norse wilderness and he is helping his son at the very beginning of the game prepare a 
funeral pyre for his recently deceased wife. Ooh, ouch. Yeah, super ouch. They they lay her to rest and then begin on their journey to fulfill his wife's last wish, which was to spread her ashes in the tallest peak in all the realms. So there's some there's some elements of Norse mythology going on throughout the whole game. That's kind of what it's set in since Kratos has already killed all the Greek mythology. So that's kind of the, the story backdrop of the game. The actual gameplay of God of War has remained fairly consistent throughout the series. It is a third-person kind of adventure hack and slash. Mm-hmm. Think along the lines of like a Devil May Cry or a Kingdom Hearts uh, where you go into an, an arena of enemies, you fight all the enemies using combo moves and dispatch them and then navigate to the next area of enemies. So it's kind of a, a more traditional quote-unquote video game in that sense where it's about combo meters and juggling health and doing interesting, uh, interesting fighting tactics, if you will. So that's kind of the the backdrop of the game and what it is. It's pretty straightforward. Um, there are some light elements, like progression elements in the game of getting better gear for you. Um, your son throughout the game also becomes something that can help you fight. He, he uses a bow and arrow that you can command him to shoot. Mm-hmm. And you can upgrade his gear as well. So there's a very light kind of progression system on top of of the combat but that's used more of a as a gating system so that way if you run into an enemy that's much higher level than you are you can't just steamroll your way through using your combos Um, but yeah that's kind of the basic Mm -hmm. outline of god of war without saying too much in the way of spoilers we're going to keep the uh first half of this episode spoiler free as always Mm -hmm. so with that kind of high-level explanation of the game, I wanted to ask you, Daniel, what did you what did you think of God of War? I, uh, I had actually not played any God of War before it, so I don't have I don't have any kind of comparison point, really, at all. But I, I, I found it to be a, a pretty positive experience. I... I had to learn a lot. I uh, I usually don't play games even with with this light of a progression system. Usually every session is is either new or or is is something like Civ where you don't necessarily change things. It's more just like an evolution, and, it, and it's not like the biggest part of the game, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. But this this really wasn't that part really wasn't a a big hassle even for somebody who wasn't used to it at all um which i think at least to me was positive i don't know i wrote down that there could be people who are more used to these games that might have found the progression system to be too light and i would understand that uh, but it worked really well for me i really was there for the quiet moments weirdly enough the hack and slash stuff was really fun, but I loved, as uh, as I heard Kratos say once, the the I loved the 
boat sections. He uh, he mentioned that stories are for the boat. And I, I liked that whenever you weren't fighting, you got to see Kratos and Atreus, his son, uh, just talking their way through what situation they're in. But sometimes they would also talk about each other and mom and and how how their relationship wasn't quite perfect. And I, I liked those sections quite a lot. Kratos, he may have said that, but he didn't like the stories. Oh, Kratos didn't like to say the stories? No. His personality is, he's kind of a hard ass. I mean more to say that uh, uh, I, I liked that there was dedicated sections for the stories. Yeah, I did too. And I hadn't actually played any of the God of War games either before playing this. So if there's anybody out there listening to this who's played all of them or even some of them, you may have a more nuanced opinion about uh, about how this game went. So take what we're about to say with a grain of salt. So you, you, you liked it as well, I'm guessing. I had a heck of a time with this game. I had a lot of fun oh, with good. it. Oh, that's good. That's really good. Um, and I'm not fully done with it either. I haven't 100% completed it, but it's one of those games where I'm definitely going to finish it. Is this... I, I I just kind of assume at this point that you make it farther in games over the same amount of time than I do. Mm-hmm. Did you at least get to like story completion and then there's like more? Or are you still... Do you still have to complete the story? Uh, I did get to story completion of like the main quest okay. line. But there's some other stuff that, like, I wouldn't be surprised if there was, like, a second ending after the first one, let's say. Um, how far did you get? I, 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 I will also give, uh, before I answer that, a disclaimer in that prior to to playing the game, Armon actually pretty much talked to me about all of the sections. <laughs> <laughs> Before the before that, I knew that it was going to be a, a a game to play. I was like, sure, I'll probably play it someday. But you're really excited. Let's talk about it. Um, oh, so he told you about this before we even decided we were going to do a show on exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so you knew going in. I even I even had rough like timelines of what was supposed to happen, and he also showed me some of the sections. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. Okay. I had no idea this game was that spoiled for you. Yeah, I know. I, I, I wanted. I, I still wanted to play it. I had, I had known that I wanted to play it since he talked about it. Um, and then whenever you brought mm-hmm. it up, I was like, sweet, works out really well for me. I do usually like to go in with less spoilers, but, um, I, I felt as though I didn't even get to the sections that he had showed me. Really, um, mm. I just kind of know where it goes. Mm-hmm. To answer your question, though, I got to, um, <sighs> like, give me a percentage completion. Then, yeah. If you know the rough milestones. That way, I don't say where it was. I, it's probably twenty percent or twenty-five percent. It was. It was whenever a lot of the mechanics were established. Oh wow! So you had a long way to go. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. But this is also, correct me if I'm wrong, the first game you've ever played on a PlayStation? <laughs> yeah. Yes, it is. Yeah. I, I, like, ever? <laughs> oh, uh, 
uh, on a PlayStation 4. I did have okay. a PlayStation 2 whenever I was a kid, which pretty much was only there to play three games. Star Wars Battlefront? Four games. But yes. Okay. Battlefront, uh, Harry Potter, and like the Chamber of Secrets or something. Of course. Yeah. Um, the... <laughs> The uh, series of unfortunate again- events game. <laughs> I d- okay. And the the piece de resistance Quidditch World Cup. So, dude. <laughs> so you only had movie spinoff titles. Yeah. But dude, Quidditch World Cup was so good. <laughs> um, oh. I generally speaking, though, have been an Xbox guy aside from those. Um, and... Mm-hmm. This this was cool. Got a PS4. Um, was it's it's it, it's been a nice system to work with. You you already had a PS4 though, if I remember correctly. I think that you're. I did. I think that you're a PS4 fanboy, if I remember correctly. I think you remember it perfectly accurately. No, I bought my PS4 as a. It was going to be a single title game console for me. I bought it solely to play Bloodborne. Yeah. And then it just kind of happened that as time went on, some good exclusive exclusives have come out for it, yeah. like God of War. So yeah. I'm glad I have one. It is a, it is one of the more compelling exclusives that I've seen from 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 uh, PlayStation's lineup. Um, so I'm I was glad to finally get to hit it get to see what got what the the series is really about so you've played 25 percent of it are you gonna is, is this a game that is interesting enough to you that you will keep playing it without any sort of extrinsic motive motivation or is this a game that you're glad that you kind of picked up and played a little bit of but you're probably not going to come back to it i actually put down the answer to that question on my notes thusly Using the other two games that we've played on this podcast as comparison points, so that mm-hmm. way the listeners, I think, could could see where I'm coming from. I think my com- since I didn't complete any of them, <laughs> my com- <laughs> my completion order would be uh, Secret of Monkey Island, then God of War, then Dark Souls. Ah. Uh-huh. Um. So Secret of Monkey Island, I really really enjoyed. I still really enjoyed God of War, but I would probably finish Secret of Monkey Island first and then go for God of War. It was a lot more approachable than Dark Souls. Like it was, it was easier for me to to put in the sessions and make progress. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also just i I liked the story that was in the background of Dark Souls, but I also ju- I just liked Atreus and Kratos. They're cool. They're cool dudes. It's a it's a cool it's a cool duo. So I I think that I will replay it. It's second in line as far as podcast games go, though. So what you're saying is we'll have to do another episode on it someday, so you can play the game again. Possibly, I, it could also become a, a a section of the podcast or or part of feedback where I where I announce that I've completed a game that I didn't complete before, and I complete my analysis. Uh huh. I feel like we will have no shortage of potential for that segment. Yeah. Based on how these first three have gone. Yeah. 
I spent, so I was away all weekend mm-hmm. and I spent all, basically all day Friday playing the game so that way I could beat it before I left. Oh, nice. And I got so close to beating it that whenever I came back on Sunday night after having been outdoors hiking and climbing all weekend and then driving four hours. Yeah. I finished it. I played another like five hours of God of War. So to finish it. That's probably that's probably a good thing for people to know. What was your total hours roughly to get to the point that you're at? Um, I probably played I I would say probably thirty hours in the past two weeks to to beat the game. Okay. And that's just story completion. There are other things to do for me still though. Yeah. So it's 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 a hefty boy. It's a it's it's a it's a big game. There's a lot there's a lot going on. Yeah. It really can be. I think the caveat there, or maybe the uh, the modifier here is the difficulty level. Ah, yes. That I played it on. What did you play it on? I played it on the hardest difficulty level that it let me play it on. Ooh, it was called uh, Give Me God of War, right? I think that is the actual hardest difficulty. You can't use that on your first playthrough. Oh, so you did it on uh, Give Me, uh, what, what did it say? It was like Give Me a Challenge or something. I don't know. Okay. There's like, it's easy, medium, hard, expert style mm, difficulties. So the enemies have more health and they, I don't know if they have like, different combat moves that they do or if they're more aggressive or anything but they're definitely stronger yeah i played it on uh give me a balanced experience so it was Mm. uh in in the four in the four levels it was number two from the bottom oh i gotta say i'm surprised by that yeah you did you peg me as uh give me a story i thought after the dark souls episode (laughs) You were just gonna want a story. <laughs> that's that's totally fair. I did I did think really hard about both of those two. I wasn't gonna do the top two. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that what what made me decide to do that was um, one of the things that you said about Dark Souls was that it was definitely the earliest of the of the trilogy, in that it was there were things that got polished out of the later versions of Dark Souls, so. I kind of took that as, in quotation marks, it's the hardest or it's just naturally the hardest one to deal with. So I kind Mm -hmm. of use that as like, a okay, maybe other games, especially a modern one like the new God of War, it would be cool to do one that that still has a challenge in it, if that makes sense. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that is an interesting way of looking at it. I uh, I knew that I wanted to play the game part. I didn't just want to like a visual novel. Um, well, okay, I guess it wouldn't be a visual novel. I didn't want a movie because I guess it's a better one. Right. Um, and I'm glad I did that. I'm glad that I got to play the hack and slash because I, I think that we'll we'll get to some of the specifics. But like, the straight up, the gameplay was really fun. The minimal progression was really fun, and sprinkling in the story in between was a good experience so i'm glad i picked that one how uh like how how hard was it on that difficulty 
um, because I think like if if I was playing it again for the first time, I actually don't know if I would choose the harder difficulty again, just because I don't really know what they changed. I have a feeling, based on what I know about you, is that you might find it too easy on the difficulty that I played it on, because you, you've seen me you've seen me struggle with 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 these games and past games. I only died like. I've only died like four times, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and y- usually at, at a challenging difficulty for me, I, I die like I die tons, <laughs> like all the time. Um, yeah. So this, because that's just how I play games. I think we talked about it before. I, I throw myself at the problem and try to like, try to like feel out the problem space before I before I uh, go, okay, this is how I need to solve it. And so that takes lives. And I didn't really have to, I didn't die very much. Were your deaths focused more towards the beginning of your playthrough or were they kind of evenly sprinkled throughout? They were kind of sprinkled. They were for things like, really, yeah. Like they were for things where uh, I either like, (laughs) there's a section where you have to clear out environmental hazards with your, with your weapon. Mm-hmm. And I just forgot to, <laughs> so I just ran into the into the thing and died. So there was that one. I think there's a section with like with like the floor is lava kind of thing, but it wasn't actually lava. Uh, it was other obstacles and like I, I just like oh I f- forgot the floor was lava. So it was just for careless things mostly. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. This is why I think. I actually wouldn't mind playing it on an easier difficulty. And maybe if you're listening to this and you're not sure which difficulty you'd play it on, the times that I died playing on the hardest mode available to me were all towards the beginning of the game. And I never died in a boss fight. Oh, nice. So what that says to me was that the progression system, there's kind of a point that you reach pretty quickly in the game where you can become well enough equipped that stats stop mattering so much between you and enemies. Like, you still have to not get hit most of the time, but I probably died maybe 40 times. Yeah. And... I don't think any of those times were in the last 10 hours of the gameplay. Yeah. So by that, I I think it would be just as enjoyable Mm -hmm. and maybe like a a little better use of my time to play it on, say, like the balance difficulty setting Mm -hmm. where you hit that point a little bit faster in the game and you're just playing it. Do they throw more enemies at you at at difficulty level three is that is that kind of how they do it or are they or are they stat buffed like what what was it that you were seeing i i think and and i haven't gone and looked this up but my impression of it was that they were stat buffed for sure yeah and potentially that they added more enemies okay so to give you an example the very first fight in the game uh, like the tutorial fight where you just have your axe and you're fighting those two, the two guys that come up on you. Yeah. 
the level one guys can kill you in two hits. Ooh, okay. Or like a hit and a half. Like the first hit, you have like 10 health left. Hmm. So it's one of those like basically everything at the beginning of the game can outright kill you. And then as you're going along and playing the game, the stronger enemies that you run into all have moves that can one hit kill you. Mm. So it just turns into a game where you're you're dodging and blocking a whole lot yeah. until you reach the point where you've got like a ton of health and you've got like health regeneration and you've got, you know, stunning abilities and, and crowd control abilities. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I feel like I feel like all of this is kind of pointing to what we've been saying about the progression system being maybe not the center of attention for this game, especially with like they might add more enemies and they might buff them up, but if the stats just become overwhelming, you just kind of crush. Right? Yeah. Yeah, there's definitely a break-even point, at least on the challenging difficulty. Mm-hmm. I've heard that the the Give Me God of War difficulty is like a God of War level difficulty yeah. throughout the gameplay experience. But if that means that you just die on getting hit, that's not necessarily something I'm super interested in. Yeah, no, I, I would totally agree. Hmm. And the difficulty is eased quite a bit by the fact that whenever you do die, rather than just being brought back to life with whatever health and uh, resources you had when you died, your health refills mm-hmm. and you ke- you keep all the resources that you had on your death. So it does allow you to throw yourself at a challenge over and over, really without fear of failure. Yeah. Which... I think that I was, I had said this, I have said this before. I do like to do that. I like to be able to not feel too stressed about failing when I'm playing a game. And so that was one of the things that did appeal, even though I don't, I only died like four times. Like I said, failure mm-hmm. didn't happen very much. It was nice to at least know that I just kind of reload where I was and it's okay. We've kind of skirted around a couple of the mechanics. Maybe we can summarize the the actual fighting a little bit. Sure. We've we've said hack and slash. What describe kind of what that actually means in the context of this game. In the context of this game and in the context of a lot of hack and slash games, it's basically the notion that your character is in arena style combat with other characters so you're kind of in the same uh mm-hmm. large space as the enemies that you're fighting and they're all maneuvering around you and you have a weapon that when you hit an enemy you can start a combo chain that becomes typically unbreakable by the enemy unless they're super strong and so it plays more like a fighting game mm-hmm. where you've got all of these different combos and these different moves that you can pull out uh, to use on your enemies rather than a game like uh, like Dark Souls where 
let's say the combat is more animation oriented mm-hmm. where you're actually like swinging your sword and if your sword misses then it misses this is much more classic video game if you're close enough to the enemy and you swing your sword it's just gonna hit yeah uh or your axe in this case it's just gonna hit and then it starts you on this combo chain and really the only thing that can peel you out of that is if you mess up the combo or another enemy hits you or the enemy you're fighting is able to withstand the attack mm-hmm the the core the core combat was was just know your enemy and then make sure that you hit them with the right set of moves so that way you just kind of dominate them and destroy them and then move on to the next guy in your arena basically yep yep and i had a good balance between ranged attacks and close-up attacks this is kind of the one of the unique features about this God of War in particular is that the axe that Kratos has, he can either use as an axe, like a blunt instrument, up close and personal, or he can throw the axe mm-hmm. across the arena at the enemy, and it'll hit them and either stick into them and freeze them or deal some damage to them. And then he can press a separate button to recall the axe and so it'll fly back to him like a boomerang, like a magical Thor's hammer type weapon. Yeah. Um, which provides for a lot of really interesting gameplay. I I I loved the the Leviathan axe. It was so cool. Uh, yeah. I loved that that you were able to do both. You could like beat up on a bunch of guys, and then at at the last second before a guy far away shoots at you, you can throw the ax and then, and then knock him out. And then just like Atreus is sitting there. He's like clapping. He's like, yay, dad. Like <laughs> felt, it felt like you felt really powerful with it. Yeah. And it can do all sorts of stuff. It's, it's a great example of how you can take a very simple idea and turn it into an incredibly versatile game mechanic. Mm-hmm. And I think God of War did this a few times in this game where it took something that was a pretty simple idea and and showcased it really well so from a game design point of view i think it's a really solid game and it doesn't have many failings which which Mm -hmm. it's like it's not groundbreaking in any way but everything it does it does really well yeah i i would agree about that um it was it was very safe game um it it didn't it didn't like didn't shock me with something like crazy new the only thing that i would disagree on is the progression was probably eh, probably wasn't super strong everything else was really was really well polished though yeah the progression could have been maybe a bit more interesting yeah I mean, it was a fine implementation of a a skill tree-based progression system and a, a gear-based progression system. And it gave you a few options for, like, different ways to build your character. You could either build him to be, you know, very resistant to damage, or you could build him to be, like, a guy who heals a lot on every kill, or... Um, like you could add additional elemental properties so you became kind of like a berserker type fighter mm-hmm. um so it had some really like those light rpg elements but yeah it, it was i don't really understand why they put that in there other than as a way to 
make the enemy difficulties like level responsive or like progression responsive maybe it was because the game was a little bit more open yeah as well that's in comparison to the previous trilogy Mm -hmm. yeah that's that's where i do after playing it wish that i had the point of of comparison myself is like how much of this was was a holdover from the previous games or something that they felt like they added on because it was more open compared to the previous games or, or whatever the reason was for it. I think it, it was probably due to the fact that the game was quite a bit more open world mm-hmm. than the previous God of Wars. I think the previous ones, and this is my impression of them, but I believe that they were all segmented games, which means like you play one level and then you're done with it and you go to the next level. And the only real progression between those is is maybe you find like collectibles in each level that make you mm. stronger. Whenever a game is laid out like that, it's a lot easier to tailor the difficulty of the enemies against a specific progression that the player is going to go through because you yeah. know ahead of time what that is. Whereas in this game, there's a lot more like branching pathways you can go down. And even early on, there was a couple. There, there, there was always side passages that you could go, and and sometimes even fight things that you wouldn't necessarily have to fight before. Um, even while it was just getting you set up with the game. How did you feel about uh, Kratos and Atreus? How did you like them, or not like them? It was well done. It was solid. It wasn't anything like super innovative. But, like, there were times where it definitely stirred some emotion in me because of, I think, how well, just how well written the story between the two of them was. Oh, that's good. Yeah, so it wasn't novel, but it was good. And I think that that kind of is the common sentiment that I have about this whole game, was that there was not too much in the way of, shiny sparkly brand newness but everything that was there was really good um i don't know if you felt the same way but uh i feel like one of the things that probably really helped tell that story well and with that level of emotion was uh the voice acting i actually felt as though it was it was quite good yeah i I thought all the voice acting cast was good there was never any moment really in the whole game where somebody said something in a way that like made me do a double take it was all pretty good there were a couple um a couple things really in my section which was really early on that i thought were were pretty great um little like little pieces of dialogue but also really great delivery Mm -hmm. i don't remember um the character's name that atreus was talking to but they were the the axe the axe people and they they said i i will make improvements to the axe and then atreus says but nobody asked you to yeah (laughs) (laughs) i thought that i thought that it was great that there were things that that the the player could have said out loud to their tv but still made sense Mm mm-hmm they had just been going through like a two, like a three-hour section of the game where they just kept running into people, and and I think Atreus was 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 kind of seeing that like, this is, why do we why do we keep talking to the people? Yeah. 
I thought I thought that those kinds of things, at least in the in the early sections, they, they were they were good. They they hooked me with the with the quote authenticity of the characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think each one of them had a pretty strong voice too. Mm-hmm. Every single character felt unique. Like they had their own opinions, like they had their own goals. And it was really good. I think that Kratos and Atreus were both very different characters. Mm -hmm. It gave them a lot of opportunity to contrast and talk about their differences and talk about the situations that they were facing in, in different viewpoints. Oh yeah, actually that that's, that's a, a, a good thing to point out is that this, they weren't necessarily just always talking about their relationship with each other or even the events that were happening around them, but they, they did have like little bits of their worldview in them. Mm-hmm. The like uh not not to get too specific, but there were there were times when Atreus would would try to would try to get him and Kratos to interfere in something that he thought was wrong that was happening, but Kratos is, I'm guessing, because of his past and and everything, he's he's uber protective of his own uh, autonomy mm-hmm. and his own safety and that of and the safety of Atreus, and so he he doesn't want to interfere with the things that uh, that Atreus points out that he thinks are really wrong that he wants to try to fix. And I, I liked seeing those little those little portals into who they are. Yeah, and I think it's interesting because maybe different players of this game will have different experiences of of their relationship because Kratos brings his perspective from the past you know, four games in the the main franchise. And applies it to the situations, like you're saying, that they run into. And Atreus just doesn't understand that. Because one of the crucial elements of their relationship is that Atreus really doesn't know who his father is. Yeah, uh, He doesn't know anything about him. He doesn't know anything about his past life. Um, and he tries to ask. And they, he tries to explore that relationship throughout the game. So whenever Kratos says something it's typically out of direct experience of a similar situation in the past and part of that is just because you know there's only so many unique challenges that you can have in a video game series before you start repeating some of the same challenges like go here kill that um which i think applies well to kratos's experience that he's actually done a lot of the same things that he's doing in this game before in other games and knows what it's like and and knows maybe the outcome of those things in previous games that his son isn't necessarily familiar with. But the reason why I say it might be different for different people is because Daniel and I have never played this game. I found myself empathizing more with Atreus and and feeling like Atreus was my kind of like avatar in the world um much more than kratos even though kratos was the one that i directly controlled you controlled when he fired arrows (sighs) yeah that's true 
Well, yeah, it's mostly true. No, I... Okay. I, I think that you're right that probably compared to veterans of the franchise, I can assume that they would they would put themselves in Kratos's headspace more than I would. But I actually did see, I did see where Kratos was coming from a, a fair, a fair amount. Mm-hmm. Not because I've been in that situation more just that I honestly feel like it, the presentation was good enough where I, I, I could put myself in his shoes. It's not so much that I wasn't able to put myself in his shoes, but that like, I felt that Atreus more accurately represented the interest of the player in the game, right? Like, Atreus wants to go help people. He wants to go do the side quests, and Kratos does not. But you're controlling Kratos, and you're making him go and do these side quests that he doesn't want to do. And so he's spending, you know, a lot of the game justifying to his son, like, his, why are we doing these things that you don't want to go do? And he'll have to say something like, well, it's, we got to get materials for the journey ahead. Um, stuff like that. Where I feel like Atreus was, he, he more readily represented the interest of the player. Mm. It's kind of interesting how, uh, how that becomes a mechanism to explain their relationship as you play through the game. He would say things but um or excuse me kratos would say things but then atreus would 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 go like but i i'd rather do the side thing mm-hmm. and then you as the player go do the side thing and then kind of the story explanation for that is that kratos even though he he didn't want to go do those things he knew that either he needed to for the sake of atreus or because he was like pulled like a parent gets pulled to do what Atreus wants to do. Mm-hmm. It's kind of interesting. Very interesting. Yeah, yeah. There's some interesting aspects of their relationship that unfold through gameplay as well later on in the game that we can talk about after the break. I'm kind of feeling like maybe we could start headed that way. I wouldn't mind hearing some of those some of those items, seeing as though I've made it as far as I have, and I've had some segments spoiled anyway. <laughs> sure, yeah, no, I I don't think uh, I've really got much else to say on the overarching aspects of the game, other than the story was great, the gameplay was was really fun in the moments where it wasn't mind-bogglingly frustrating from uh from difficulty level Mm -hmm. i thought it was all just so well done the the leviathan axe was a really interesting weapon that was used in a variety of different ways both Mm -hmm. in combat and out of combat the world design was really great the characters were awesome just everything about the game was just solidly done so two thumbs up for god of war i only have one arm so one thumb up good for you that's not true (laughs) it's not true that i have one arm or it's not true good for you (laughs) that you only have one arm i don't want anybody being misled yeah sure fine yeah i have several arms thank you do you want to 
take our our bathroom break yeah sure i need more water now okay okay we'll be back after the break this episode is not sponsored by leviathan wart remover having trouble with a pesky skin blemish that just won't go away no matter how much rage you unleash onto it leviathan wart remover is right for you harness the raw untamed power of midgard's coldest winters to cleave off the growth in one clean sweep you just can't beat the way leviathan maintains the cold even after the 10 second application period join the thousands of happy dwarven leviathan customers today by giving us a call at 1-800-BAD-WART that's 1-800-112-9178 try leviathan wart remover today yeah, we're proud to tell you today that Res is also brought to you by Rocket by Quicken Loans. Rocket is the quick and easy way to get out of your house and get out of this planet. You can download the app for free and in under 30 minutes get your pre-approval for your Rocket ride today. Thanks to Quicken Loans. All new technology whereby you don't have to go to your bank, you don't have to acquire any sort of loan. You don't have to do negotiating or get a down payment. You can skip straight to the part where you blast right off. So if you're in the market for a rocket, try out Rocket by Quicken Loans. Let's bring it back. Yep. Welcome back from the break, everybody. I think uh, now we're going to start diving into some of the more spoilerific aspects of God of War. So consider yourself warned. And consider yourself spooked, apparently. Oh, you said spoiled, not spooked. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Not the spookier parts. We're not going to talk about any of those. So, you've seen a lot of the game. I've seen most of the game, I venture to say. I remember a lot of the beats, but I can't remember exactly how we come back to some of these important like deus ex characters like the stranger and the uh and the witch lady Mm -hmm. does that does that get tied together okay because at the at the beginning part where i'm at they feel more like or they felt more like uh instruments than characters Mm mm-hmm feel like that's one of the big things that i want to know about is if they become characters oh yeah for sure so what daniel's talking about here is the story of god of war starts out where again you're with your son and you cremated your wife in a funeral pyre and you're gonna go venture forth to take her ashes to the highest peak in all the realms So Kratos and Atreus live in a realm called Midgard, which if anybody out there listening is familiar with uh, Norse mythology, and I think most people are now thanks to the Thor movies, there's this notion of different realms that you can travel between using something called the Bifrost, Midgard being the center of all the realms. I think in, in Thor and in a lot of popular culture, um, and I think even in Norse mythology, Midgard is considered Earth. Mm-hmm. And then you've got Asgard, and then you've got several other realms. 
some of which are like the the realms of hell just h-e-l um you've got niflheim which is like more of an icy realm you've got musfulheim which is a fire realm all of these different physical places that are distinct yet kind of stacked on top of each other in the same spot if that makes sense so kind of like different dimensions we'll say yeah so kratos gets a knock on the door one day very early in the game after uh after he's done the whole funeral pyre thing but before they've left on their journey he gets a knock on the door and it's this guy basically telling him you know open up i know who you are i know what you've done all that kind of stuff and he opens it up, and it's just like scrawny guy covered in tattoos. And he's like, you need to get the heck out of here. And he's like, I'm not going to get the heck out of here. So they fight. Turns out that the scrawny guy is not so easily defeated, which surprises Kratos because he's a god after all. Mm-hmm. And he quickly recognizes that he's fighting another god, but he doesn't know who it is. He doesn't really know anything about Norse mythology. Yeah, he didn't study it. Nope. Uh, luckily for him, Atreus knows a lot about Norse mythology because he like paid attention to his mom for all the years that he was alive that I guess Kratos never did. So like he knows how to read all of the runes and he knows all the common legends and that kind of stuff. So anyway, Kratos fights the stranger and he thinks he kills him. Then him and Atreus go hunting on their way up the mountain. There's a, there is a mountain in Midgard that they think, oh, we're going to go up there and scatter the ashes. It's probably the highest point. Yeah, it's, it's the highest point in all of Midgard. So they're like, okay, we're going to go up there. That's where Faye was Kratos' wife. That's where Faye would want us to go. They head out, and on the way they stop and do a little bit of hunting, do some father-son bonding, where it's clear that Kratos has been trying to train his son to be more independent and and survive in the harsh wilds alone. And they shoot this boar, and they track the boar back to this like nice grove of trees where there's this witch who's like, uh, what have you done? You shot my friend. This boar, like, if she can communicate with it and yeah. So you, you're like, oh, whoops, like we didn't know that was your friend. Sorry, we'll you know, get whatever you need us to get to heal it up. And while you're doing that, the witch stops Kratos and she's like, I know you're a god. And I know you you haven't told the boy that. And I know that you're trying to do this thing because Atreus is like, oh, we're going to go to the highest peak. He like tells everybody this. He talks a lot. Yeah. So he tells the witch, and she's like, oh, you're such a cute little boy. I love you. Come by any time. And then she very sternly is like, you're you're messing up your son to Kratos. And he's like, I get out of my business. So they find stuff to heal the boar, and then they leave. And they go on this adventure where they meet some dwarves who are magical. Uh, there's It's two brothers, and they're the ones that made the axe that he is carrying. And one of them is like the classic like rough and tumble dwarf who spits a lot and swears and is just very uh i don't know gregarious and then his brother who is like a neat freak he's a germaphobe everything disgusting scares him and they don't get along Mm -hmm. so you meet the dwarves you get to the highest peak in midgard 
And once you get up there, there's this guy who's trapped in a tree. His name is Mimir. And he's being interrogated by the stranger, who you learn is named Balder. Um, mm. And Balder is up there with his two cousins. And they're interrogating Mimir because Mimir has the power of like an all-seeing eye type thing. He knows everything in all the nine realms type mm. situation. So like, where's the guy? Where's his son? And Mimir's like, I don't know. I'm not going to tell you. So they're like, fine, we'll go find him ourselves. And they leave. You come up. You chop Mimir's head off because he's stuck in the tree. And so the only way that he can help you out and the reason why he wants to help you out is that the mountain that you just climbed is the highest mountain in all of Midgard, but not in all of the Nine Realms. The highest in all the Nine Realms is in a realm called Jotunheim, the realm of the giants. Ah, I see. So you have to open up the portal to go to the realm of the giants. But in order to do that, you need to know the travel rune, and you need to repair the realm tower, which is missing. Yeah, uh, from the lake. So there's this giant lake in the middle of the map that is guarded by the world serpent. Seems like a cool dude. He's super cool. But basically you have to go take Mimir around on some adventures to get the materials to rebuild the tower to then go to Jotunheim and scatter Faye's ashes at the highest peak. And there's a number of things that happen in between there. Like any classic video game, it's never as simple as point A to point B. Uh, it always turns into, okay, on the way to point B, 14 different things happen that divert you off course, and eventually you get back on track. Mm -hmm. So the point at which uh, the other people start to become more of characters is when you start learning their backstories from Mimir, and you start doing these tasks in the world that kind of involve their backstories. So, for example, you learn about the witch, and her name is Freya, and that she was actually Odin's wife um, until he got jealous of her and cast her out of, you know, the godhood. And you learn that Balder is Freya's son, and that uh... his whole thing is, like, he can't feel pain, he can't feel anything, so you mm -hmm. can beat him up as much as you want, and it's not going to affect him. And you learn that Freya actually did that to him to try and, like, save him. Uh, but that he resents her for it. And, like, he's been hunting for her and he wants to kill her. And you learn all this and you have this, you know, climactic battle against Balder where Freya is trying to stop you from killing him. But he's trying to kill her, so you're trying to save her. And you end up killing him and she, like, curses you. Um... So they like it gets really interesting where she's really not on your side, but also on your side and hates what you're doing, but is mm -hmm. thankful for you doing that. Like it's they, they become much more complex and fleshed out. Um, interesting. And then you finally make it to the top of Jotunheim by the end of the game, and you scatter the ashes. And when you do, uh, you kind of go through this room where there's a, a mural. And the mural depicts all of the events of the game. Oh. So it was like this prophecy that they knew that was going to happen. And that Faye knew was going to happen. 
the whole time, which is why she asked Kratos to do this, and she was the one who sent you on this whole long journey that eventually uh, unites father and son. Oh, that's cute. Yeah. So, to it seems as though Freya and Baldir, as they come to be known, actually do kind of become personalities and their forces don't feel so much as like outside i guess by the end because they get they get backstories and they get explanations for what they're doing and why they're doing it Mm-hmm. that's cool i was really hopeful for that they get a lot more fleshed out and something that the writers did really well of in this game was using other characters as a way to explore kratos and um, Atreus's relationship and mm-hmm. Kratos's past and Atreus's possible future because say with Balder for example you know, Kratos is fighting him to keep his son safe but mm-hmm. he also wants to keep Freya safe and kind of respect her wishes at the same time because it's Balder is her son he doesn't want to make Freya upset by killing him so he yeah. actually tries to reason with Balder towards the end of the game, which is something that old Kratos would never have done. Um, mm-hmm. And tries to explain to him, like, you know, the path that you're going down is not one worth traveling down. Like, it's full of revenge and full of heartbreak and full of pain. Like, I know this, so don't try it. Um, mm-hmm. So there's there's some interesting stuff that happens with all of the different characters in the game that... I think they they do a good job of using the characters to explore ways that maybe Kratos has changed or maybe ways that Atreus will be challenged. That that's that's really cool. I I was able to see the inklings of uh of Kratos's change early on because like Atreus is basically the catalyst of all of that change. Mm-hmm. What 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 would you say were um, Atreus's challenges that he had? This kind of goes along with the whole notion that he, like, that you, I, I said earlier, sometimes you get to control when he shoots arrows. Because um, at some point in the game, when Atreus learns that he is a god, that, his, that Kratos is a god, so he has god blood, he does i think what most 12 or 13 year olds would do if they learn that fact and immediately lets it go to his head oh so he starts treating everybody like crap he starts talking down to the dwarves and telling him like we don't care about your little people problems because we're gods and we can do whatever we want so you know shut up and get on with your life um yeah he starts like just being rude to everybody thinking that he's way stronger than he is, like overestimating his ability, his skill. And so that's what he's doing in the story. But in the gameplay, he stops listening to you whenever you want him to shoot arrows. He'll like start blindly charging enemies and like get into the middle of a group of bad guys and you, you have to go rescue him. So he just starts doing all this stupid stuff. And it takes Kratos everything he's got to not just, like, erupt in fury at his son. Uh, and it even gets to the point where he starts, like, bad-mouthing his mother. 
and that's where Kratos draws the line. What does he do? What does Kratos do? He just he basically pulls him aside, and this is after a whole long gameplay section that lands you in the depths of hell. <laughs> oh, okay. And he basically pulls his son aside and is like, look, this is what all of this that has happened, it's happened because of you. Like, the reason that we are stuck in hell right now is because of you and, like, you letting this attitude of superiority get to your head. And you should never forget that. Oh, wow. That's way harsher than I thought. I thought he was going to beat him up. But, man, that's some hurt. That's That's like some shade said right to your face. That's really cool then. That gives me even more reason to, to actually go through and, and get to see that. Cause I thought I think it's cool that you get to hear the story motivations, but then even in the in the actual game it gives the re- the player a reason to hate him. Mm-hmm. Because towards the session that I've played, I, I've liked Atreus. I th- I've thought he's he's cool. He actually helps me in battle too. Like I can I can have him distract people and even do some damage, but if that stuff starts to go away and he starts to become a liability, then you feel what Kratos feels. That's really cool. Yeah, he, it became so annoying. Like in the sections where you weren't fighting, you could still have him. He he gained some powers with his arrows to shoot things in the environment that like make bridges or blow up walls. Mm-hmm. And so you still have to be able to do that just to keep, like, the levels going. But whenever you tell him to do that, he'll say stuff like, whatever. Or, like, you'll ask him to come read some glyphs, and he'll be like, nah. And he'll be like, you have to press the button again. Be like, come read this. And he'll be like, fine. And it's like, oh, man. I was getting so steamed with him. Like, you little prick. You have no idea. Did you did you feel towards the beginning any kind of not necessarily mistreatment by Kratos, but like some distance that that made you feel bad for Atreus or at least angry with Kratos? Yeah, it was something that I was aware of going into the start of the game. Like I felt bad for Atreus because of of the fact that he didn't really know his dad. Like his dad mm-hmm. kept a lot of secrets from him and he tried to tried to uncover those. Like Kratos was hard on him. And and I felt bad for all of those like reasons why I think an outsider looking in you would just feel bad seeing that situation. But surprisingly, yeah. as the game went on, that really changed for me. Yeah. Um and not because of like the section whenever he was being a head. But as the game went on, it became much clearer why Kratos was doing what he was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, like he actually had really good reasons for not telling his son outright who he was. Uh, and and not necessarily like good reasons because he knows everything, but good personal reasons. He was afraid of telling Atreus about his his godhood, for example, because Kratos murdered his father. And because he he has this conception that to be a god is a life full of nothing but pain and misery and like horrible backstabbing and treachery that he was hoping to spare his son from. 
Um, and so maybe by not telling him, you know, he could keep his son safe and, and keep him thinking that he's mortal. Um, but the truth is kind of inevitable, right? So it eventually has to come out. He's going to find out on his own. So, you know, that's one thing. And, and like, basically every way that Kratos was hard on Atreus throughout the game, it was difficult for Atreus to see, I think, why his dad was being so harsh. And so it feels bad from his point of view if you're being empathetic with him. But when you see that Kratos is trying to prepare him for that inevitability of being a... a an entity that has way too much responsibility and that is probably, you know, going to be on the receiving end of some pretty bad stuff when he's older, Mm -hmm. it starts to become a lot clearer how much he actually cares for his son. So I don't know, like, what what do you think this game, from your experience of it, really has to say about fatherhood? Whenever you were, whenever you were talking about how, uh, you you feel like you understood a lot of the motivations as the game went on for Kratos makes me feel like parents would see this game completely differently even from the beginning it it's probably a an exploration of that experience I wouldn't be surprised if that was one of the the main motivators for the for the developers because they wanted to they wanted to show everybody what it's like to be a parent. Mm-hmm. Obviously, sprinkled in with like some godlike powers or whatever, but like, right? <laughs> these are these are common experiences. I know that that we both talked to each other about all kinds of all kinds of ways that that we didn't really get our parents or whatever and then now that we are even just a little tiny bit older and just a little tiny bit more in their shoes we understand them a little bit more and this is condensed into what like a 30 hour game i think i think that it's trying to say a lot of those same things i think it's one of the the central messages it sounds like i don't know that it's trying to give an opinion about any of them i think that it's just trying to it's not trying to say that like oh being a being a parent like kratos or being a, a son like atreus is bad or whatever i just think it's trying to be descriptive trying to to try to build some empathy for people who aren't in either of those positions either haven't been or never will be and it's interesting the way that you said that that these are relatable common experiences i think this is something that i really liked about the way that they presented the story was that it was so fantastical and magical and unreal but the the central message of you know a father trying to keep his son safe from the world Mm -hmm. is so relatable and even the other way, having to endure that safety net as a son <laughs> mm-hmm. until you get to finally learn why it exists. 
Yeah, and that you've gone beyond the boundaries of it, maybe a little bit more than you should have. Yeah. The secondhand embarrassment of that. Like when like when Atreus gets too headstrong, you mean? Mm-hmm. But also the like the ways that Atreus tries to push Kratos and tries to open him up to some of the I don't know, the softer side and, and some of the things that he's never maybe considered before, I thought was an interesting dynamic in the other direction that it was also talking about of, you know, the father that thinks he knows best, but then ends up learning stuff from his son. I actually felt like that was, that was now that you mentioned it, one of the, the more hopeful threads in the whole story was that the parent can change and sometimes even the parent can change because of the child or because of something that the child does to, to, to like either convince them that they need to change or, well, I guess that's the more important part is that they, they like convince Atreus convinces Kratos even just a little bit to change his ways. Right just as their experiences go by. I remember so much of the, of the media that I would consume whenever I was a kid showed uh, either absent parents or like really distant, like non-entity parents or like really strong, never changing outside forces in human parents. Uh, and this this was a this was a, a story that showed them both affecting each other. They're both growing, growing together. If that makes sense. My main point being that, like, I thought it was really hopeful that, unlike other experiences in my life or in media that I saw as a kid, Kratos as a parent actually changed. I liked that. I thought that was a really important part of the story and a really important message. That that's how it works in real life because parents are actually humans and not automatons or whatever or outside entities they're humans yeah well and it's just it, it was so well illustrated to yeah. the way that he changed and how that's reflected in the characters around him and the same goes for atreus it would have been so easy for for them to like do the game like any other triple a and and like kratos is just a hard ass the entire game but then whenever he he has the kind of the choice at the end to uh to end baldir and then he instead tries to to reason with him there could have been a moment where you see kratos's eyes twinkle and then he 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 becomes a changed man or whatever. And then he's like, I will now do the reasonable thing instead of just kill him. Because we've seen that in games before. It would have been so easy for them to do that. But it sounds like they really took the time to, to use their relationship to change Kratos in a logical, clear way. A way that actually makes sense. A way that actually serves the character. Right? Yeah. And in a way that like you feel it as you're playing. Because Kratos doesn't say a whole lot throughout the game. So there's there's kind of this undercurrent of emotional change 
emotional attitude adjustment that's going on between the player and Kratos as the game progresses. And they do such a good job of changing your opinion of him without him changing it for you. And then he reflects that in these situations where it's it's up to him to take an action. Because there will be things throughout the story where he's prompted several times. Like, for example, you have to tell your son that he's a god. You have to tell him. You have to tell him. And the first time, Kratos completely brushes it off, just ignores it. The second time, he justifies why he's not going to do it. Yeah. The third time, he doesn't really have anything to say to it. So by the fourth time that somebody poses that challenge to him, he just turns around and, boy, you know, <laughs> got something to tell you. And he does it. Yeah. That's really cool. And that happens to a few different key uh, behaviors or, or key, like, tenets of who the character is change. Yeah. So. Oh, man, you're just hyping me up so much. Because my favorite part of the section that I've played just seems to get even better. Ugh. Do I have to finish this podcast? <laughs> what, you want to go play right now? Yeah! No. I'll play another day. But you are really hyping me up. It's it's sounding like they 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 take all of these little threads that I that even I'm just noticing early on because I, I I I saw Freya try to do that and I saw him like literally stone face say nothing and turn away and do something else. So I, mm-hmm. that's really cool. It's it's one of those games too where there's not many things that are in the game for no reason at all, mm-hmm. which I really appreciated. Do you think that they're all there to try to serve um, the development of ultimately the development of Kratos and Atreus or because some of the, some of these other characters like the dwarves and Freya and Baldir are also at least getting more complicated as the game goes on. Are they also brought along for the ride? Are they also getting the same kinds of change or are they more like agents in the background? If that makes any sense. Am I not? Yeah. No, they definitely do experience change. Another clear uh, character growth arc is between the two dwarves. Oh, yeah. Brock and Sindri. They do not like each other at all at the start of the game. They've sworn each other off. They'll never talk to each other again. And then by the end of it, they've figured out how they can work together again. Because of the, the, they had decided a long time ago that they were just incompatible people. Their personalities mm-hmm. were just too different. But you, but by the end, you see them not figure out how to ignore the differences, but how to deal with them. Exactly. They figure out how to work around them. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, and how to kind of embrace them even because like there's a there's a really cute exchange whenever they first start working together again where Sindri's trying to like be, be overly analytical and correct Brock and tell him you're doing this thing wrong and he's like well actually I I did this thing beforehand that makes this process better and Sindri 
not only like takes that and says okay but he's like actually that's a really good idea because it also makes the piece more sanitary <laughs> yeah to, um, to serve his own personality yeah exactly so like even in those little exchanges they're already like building off of one another and deepening their their uh, brotherhood that's awesome so what you're really saying is that this game isn't about fatherhood at all it's really a game about brotherhood assassin's creed oh god (laughs) so a lot of stuff happens a lot of growth happens by the end, you've got one angry Freya, one dead Baldir, two reunited brothers, and a reconciled father and son. Mm-hmm. Did you feel as though it was concluded in a way that, that told you about where the journey goes next? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah? I Yeah, I haven't told you yet. But there's there's a thing that happens. So the main story, like the quest ends and you're all like hunky dory about it. But in the mural depicting all of the events of the story, there's a piece of it that's hidden behind some cloth, like a tapestry that's draped on the wall. And Atreus doesn't see this. But it kind of brushes up just for Kratos to see for a moment a depiction of Atreus holding Kratos as Kratos is dying. Oh, shit. Yeah. So that happens. And he's like, okay, well, I guess I'm going to die one day and my son's going to be there. But two really interesting things happen that I think are setting up a sequel to this game. Mm-hmm. And I don't know for sure because I haven't finished all of the all the content that's in it. So maybe it's like an unlockable boss, but I doubt it. There is Odin, who is mm-hmm. Odin and Thor are talked about a lot throughout the story. And Ragnarok, the, the end times. You never see them in the game at all. And Ragnarok doesn't happen in the game. Right. But... At the end, you learn these two really interesting things. You learn that Atreus' mother mm-hmm. wanted to name him Loki. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So he is Loki, and you're on his side, which Loki is classically like a, the bad guy of Norse <laughs> mythology. But this whole game has trained you to see him as the good guy. Like, you're on his side. You empathize with him. And Odin and Thor and all these other people, they're the ones that are doing the evil things. Mm -hmm. Um, So you learn that he is actually Loki. And after you scatter the ashes, you know, this. the end credits are playing on the screen while you're walking back down the mountain. And if you go back home... You shut the door and Kratos is like, okay, it's time to go to bed. Like, we've done a lot. Let's let's get some rest. And the game flashes forward to a few years in the future oh. where they're both woken up by a lightning storm. <sighs> and they come out the front door of the house and there's Thor standing there with his hammer. And then it, like, cuts to black. Mm. I, oh. <laughs> I'm going to see how that works. 
Yeah. So I feel like that uh, it's some sequel fodder right there. Did did Atreus look grown up? Uh, not really. Which was kind of weird to me. He looked basically the same age. Yeah. So it must not have been that far in the future, like not that many years. Mm. Weird. Okay. That that I feel like could be a a. a a cool thing to see is like what a slightly older Atreus would act like after this journey and everything. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like at this point Kratos deserves the sweet release of death at some point. So it's not, I mean that in, in a nice way. I feel like he's been through a lot. He, and he, yeah, the can't die or like I don't I don't quite remember what exactly it was from the previous games, but like he deserves to die at some point just so that way he can rest in peace, I guess. I think this is a great way for them to transfer the mantle between Kratos to Atreus. Mm-hmm. Like you spent this whole game kind of being the dad to a to Atreus. Mm-hmm. that you you've like quote unquote raised him in the game and yeah. now maybe you get to play as him in the next game man i really hope they have the cojones i really do we've seen a couple examples of franchises that 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 go to their second phase and don't necessarily pass the torch well mm-hmm if they could pull it off, though, then my PS4 gains a lot of value for me because I've really enjoyed where the game has been going gameplay-wise and especially story-wise. And I would love for there to be a continuation of the story for Atreus. I I would love for them to, to have the guts to fully let Kratos go at some point. Mm-hmm. Do you feel the same way? Like, is that do you do you like that kind of change, or or do you do you like the stability that like Gears Four and and Halo Five, as examples of other franchises, had with their passing of the torch? I think that this would be a great thing for them to do because Kratos has had five main installments and a few spinoff games. Like, people are familiar with him. They really, especially, I think, with this recent game, explored the character. And I think, like, if you are going to do a baton pass, this is one of the best ways you could possibly do it. Um, Where you are literally, like, mentoring the next character and acquainting yourself with them and their weaknesses through the lens of the current character. So, if, if that's the intent... I think they're they're doing the right thing by basically investing an entire main franchise title to solidify that idea. It's a lot of hype, man. Uh, the logical thing to do is to still leave my my play order unchanged, but maybe it should be to expedite the Secret of Monkey Island. Get that sucker out of the way. This has been one of the better games I've played in in recent memory. It's definitely one that I'm going to keep. It's a keeper. Oh, yeah, that's cool. 
does it okay here's here's an important question in that vein this one's a keeper is it one that makes you want to see where he came from and see the original trilogy or is this where you get on the boat and you don't look back that's a good question for me I don't know that I'm going to go back and play the other games just because I'm afraid of being disappointed by potentially a very shallow character at the beginning. Because I think at the start, God of War, this is just my understanding of it, but the characterization I got was that it was very much just like about the gore and about the ridiculous macho, uh, sorry, machismo of like being the god of war and killing other gods mm-hmm. whereas i feel like this entry was much more nuanced yeah i i also haven't really i haven't really heard enough about the original trilogy to to say if it's worth going back and if the top of my list is of, of what i liked about this game is the story mm-hmm. and not necessarily the gameplay then yeah i feel like Unless the, unless it can deliver on that story, then it's not really probably worth it for me. Yeah. Unless we pick it for this podcast. Then we have no choice in the matter, do we? No choice whatsoever. I think that's how this works. Yep. Cool. Well, I've prattled on enough. Yeah. I, I feel that I've prattled on enough, too. Shall we give this game a Daniel score? So, so is is that the life I live now? This is the identity you have taken. Uh, the sec the section that I've played puts it at like a five, I think. Five out of seven. Five out of seven. It's pretty yeah. good. It's pretty solid. That's lower than most things you've ever rated. Yes. I will say that. <laughs> I can't remember what I gave Dark Souls, but I think it was at least higher than Dark Souls. Dark- I don't actually think it is. We'll have to go back and check. Oh, well, uh, listeners, don't fact check me. <laughs> That's what it comes down to. Um, I, I, I did really hesitate because, like, through through listening to this, like the other games... I got to hear like all the stuff that I haven't even gotten to yet. So I know I, I know that there's like a surface to scratch with the story mm-hmm. and the gameplay is I mean it most of the gameplay I feel like has been introduced, but like the story is a nut that hasn't quite been cracked for a lot of the characters. Mm-hmm. So I I know very well that that score can go up. I don't think it can go down. Bold prediction. What about you? I said earlier I gave this game a two thumbs up. For me, that's going to translate to a six out of seven. Wow, 6.5 out of seven. Seven out of seven. <laughs> that's cool. That's that's. I can't pretend to remember what your ratings have been. <laughs> I think that is probably the highest i've rated anything on the show okay of the things that we've rated maybe it's tied with dark souls i don't know oh man but 
there are lots of things about this game that I could go on about. We didn't even talk about like the level design. Yeah, it's just awesome. Yeah, I thought it was pretty. I thought it was pretty dope. We also didn't say anything about the graphics. It's gorgeous. Mm. It's a gorgeous yep. game. You played it on just a normal PS4, right? And it was still gorgeous. Yep. Uh, I can't. I don't remember if PS4 Pro, like what PS4 Pro does exactly to enhance graphics, but I didn't even feel like I needed to do that. Yeah. Pretty taken care of. Um, yep. It looks great. It's plays. designed super well. Yeah. The uh, There's other, like, there's challenge modes that we haven't even talked about. There like are additional arena challenges that get unlocked. There's like a maze challenge that gets unlocked later in the game. All of these different realms that you can go to have kind of interesting different challenges about them. So oh, there's my. tons of, of content after the main story. That's super cool. Mm-hmm. There's just for me, this game has so much. It reminds me a lot of um, uh, Shadow of Mordor where... Like, the base game was really good. It was just a fun game to play, but there was so much to do and explore and so many different nooks and crannies to progress down through um, that it may not have been, like, a a masterpiece for the ages, but it was such a good game. Mm-hmm. And I, that's the way I feel about this God of War, like I think I've said a few times. Well, we can now... We can now let it rest with your 6 out of 7 and my 5 out of 7. I'm going to say that again here, so that way uh, in future episodes, maybe we'll remember. <laughs> let it be known that I've rated something higher than Daniel. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. I didn't come out and say, 7 out of 7, 7 out of 7, 7 out of 7. <laughs> Good job. You did it. Wow. I, I Boy. did it. Boy. Boy. I do not know, boy. Shall we see what's next? We definitely can. What kind of changes did we implement last episode for uh, for our selection process? What was that about again? So, our selection process is as follows. We just played a video game, so we're not going to do another video game next episode. Try to give it a little bit of a break between different kinds of media so since we have only three remaining categories tv movies and books we'll roll a d6 and we'll choose one and two to be one of the categories three and four to be another and five and six to be the third cool and uh here is my d6 here's the noises it exists great we're always going to have that that reality check for some reason. <laughs> I mean, it's important they know you're not rolling a fake die, I guess. One and two is going to be movie. Three and four okay. is going to be book. And five and six is going to be TV. All right. Let's hear it. I don't know why I'm preparing myself just to die. <laughs> We have got a four. Another book. Another book. Oh, geez. (laughs) I have, 
I have something on here that I don't I don't quite think I don't quite think we're ready for that I'm not gonna pick this time. Okay. Like a bigger project? More just more just a bigger thing to unpack, I think. Oh dear. So I had to I had to because we've already gone past my number one, everything else was uh-huh. kind of on the same level. I kinda of had to like mentally assess which one I'm gonna pick. So now I've picked uh-huh. it. What do you think I've picked? Um hmm. Mentally difficult to unpack. That's the one I didn't pick. So I actually I, I went for I went for oh. a different one. I went for a different one. Okay, so you didn't pick the Quran. Uh, no, I did not pick the Quran. I don't. I don't think. I would probably. I would probably veto the Quran. I would veto. I would, Whoa! I would veto okay. the Bible as well. I'd veto the Book of Mormon. That sounds so boring. I couldn't. I don't. Just as forewarning. Sorry, everybody who has those books. You've probably never read it all the way through either. Don't even kid yourself. Those are probably so boring. We're going to spend two weeks and read the entire Quran. <laughs> I cannot wait. <laughs> so that was your guess, I guess. Well, you said it's not that. No, it's not. So now I got to think of something that's the opposite of that. I don't know. What is it? I I kind of hesitated to add this recently. But I think it was the right thing to do. Okay. I haven't quite finished it, but I think that mm. we should read Leviathan Wakes. Okay. All right. I'm confident in our ability to, at a minimum, make a discussion out of it, even though I haven't completed it. But you're going to complete it by the time we talk about it, right? Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, okay. I'm like almost done. There's a chance that I cool. could I could even be balls deep in the second one. By the That's time. great. Sorry. You can edit that part out. I'll say there's even a chance that I could be into the second one by the time that we... Okay, it's called Leviathan Rising, Le- you said? Leviathan Wakes. Wakes? Yes. Wakes. Okay. Leviathan Wakes. For those of you listening, you may not have heard about the book... I believe that this is the book that the TV show The Expanse is based on. Yep. So that'll be an interesting discussion, I'm sure. Great. Looking forward to it. No veto? Uh, Not this time. You didn't present me with the Quran, which I would have to veto. (laughs) I said I would veto it. I I don't think that you said that you would veto the Quran. Are you saying that you would veto the Quran? I exclusively, yeah. That is the only book I would veto. So, what I'm hearing is that we are creating a body of audio that can be used against us in the future when we're trying to run for public office. I think most of these audio clips could be used against us in most situations, <laughs> even just casual situations. I think it's going to be weaponized first by our friends. okay well excellent discussion excellent game i look forward to leviathan wakes so do i thank you 
Daniel for all of your time tonight for letting me keep you up late. No, nah, it's all good. I'll just stare at the ceiling until I pass out. It's no big deal. Great. And for those of you listening along, if you are also laying late at night in bed, staying at the ceiling until you pass out, thanks for spending the time with us. Thanks, guys. See you next time.